Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. For the fourth floor of the CC building at Bethel University, break out the hand sanitizer. It's election shock therapy. Hello, face mask more. <laughs> I'm not wearing a face mask. Face masks are people who have a disease. Oh, okay. And okay. Um, you, know what I, you know what's bummed me? First of all, I'm here in my office with... Andy Bramson. And Matt Kukum. And Sam Albury has a meeting. Yes, he does. But uh, I should just say that I am a little bit disappointed in the liberal arts literary uh, experiences of our students, my friends. Oh, no. Because I have made a couple different allusions to Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death mm. uh, the last couple of days, and ain't nobody read this story but me. <laughs> I can't think if I've read that one. I've read, read some Poe, Edgar Allan Poe, but I don't but... know if that was on my – Oh, see, it's so yeah, prescient. It was... It's so prescient. So, so that's the the – the the ba- the basic synopsis is there's um there's a there's plague in mm-hmm. the, in the lands Ooh. and the uh, a group of um, wealthy aristocrats have gathered in a castle yep. sealed the doors and held oh, wow. an enormous ball to celebrate their <laughs> immunity from this disease which is afflicting the lower classes nice. and they're sort of reveling in their wealth wow. and their safety yeah. and the character of the plague is personified and enters the room with it wearing a red mask. And slowly infection wow. spreads amongst the wealthy as they die, you know, wilting and, and, and wow. suffering. And, and it's, it's, that it's, yeah. it's, it's grim, but yeah. um, here, we, here we go. So, wow. um, all right. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I just, <laughs> just dropped a few you know, casual yeah. allusions to this and just, everybody just looks at me. Kind of, um, but, um, yeah, I think we're on the cusp of spring break. I think we're going to make it to spring break. I'm going to spend my time, um, preparing to teach my classes online. Yeah, I know we'll this see. is not a huge political story, but a, a huge number of universities of various stripes across the country yeah. are moving to online only education for either a period of weeks or, or longer yep. in Alas. response to Alas. coronavirus. Alas. We're going to turn to that in the second half of our podcast today. Yep. But before we get to, uh, kvetching about, uh, um, pandemics, oh, yes. we want to talk a little bit bit about Super Tuesday, which was last week, and then last night, which was, I guess for branding purposes, we'll call it Pretty Big Tuesday. Yeah. Little Tuesday. You mean we had an election last night? I, I had yeah. no idea. We didn't really? have an election last night, but the good people of Missouri and Michigan and Washington sure did. And Mississippi and North Dakota and yep. Idaho. Idaho? Well, that was just more of a commentary on just looking at the news this morning, you know, right. the, the top you know, headlines, you know, the top of the web pages. <laughs> it was all about coronavirus coverage yeah, not about the election. Yeah. So and in truth, uh, there is a confluence of this uh, yeah. presidential primary season and coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden were supposed to have appearances in Cleveland, Ohio, in advance of the Ohio primary, which is going to take right. place next Tuesday. Both of them canceled that after uh, – Incidents of coronavirus were uh, discovered in Cleveland. So yep. um, there, there's some overlap here, but let's let's For talk sure. about pure election politics first, guys. So uh, Joe Biden, yes. only a matter of a few weeks ago, was nearly hung out and dried after yeah. he did very poorly yeah. in the first three states in Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada. Mm-hmm. He, he staked all of his um, 
electoral future in South Carolina came up big there and then came up really big in Super Tuesday and surged into a delegate lead, about a 60 delegate lead over Bernie Sanders. And it looks like last night is going to be a really good night for Joe also. He's won in Michigan. He's won in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's won big in Mississippi. No surprise there. Right. And Washington, which demographically, according to 538, sets up as about the fourth most friendly state for Bernie Sanders. He's in a dead heat with Bernie yep. Sanders in Washington with about two-thirds of the of the delegates reporting. So right. if Biden wins a very Sanders-friendly state, guys, is the primary over? Or even if it's not a win, I mean, the fact that it's right. neck and neck and probably will be until because he's a mail and ballot system, okay. so it's yeah. going to take him a long time to, you know, might be a few more days <laughs> before we have the final tally. Yeah. But, but I mean, at this point, you know, who's up or down by one, one or two points in Washington is now insubstantial because right. they're awarded proportionally, right? Right, right. they're awarded proportionally, right. so you're going to get the same amount of delegates. And the fact that Biden, you know, really shouldn't have been anywhere near close to Sanders right. here, right? And the fact that right. he cleaned up in all the other states except yeah. for uh, North Dakota, which doesn't have that many delegates anyway. Right. Right. I mean, right. like, let's be honest. Like, you know, I don't want to knock North Dakota, our dear neighbor, but um, they were kind of the American Samoa prize of last night, right? I mean, like, if you only win North Dakota, right? That's just like, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this great. is the. I'm going right. to bring the buzzer. This is yeah. the uh, special <laughs> secret code word comparing North Dakota to, to American, American Samoa. Samoa. There you go. Ding ding ding. Tell everybody's won. <laughs> um, but you know, like, it's fine. I mean, it's great to win North Dakota. You want to win North Dakota. If you only win North Dakota and your opponent's racking up big victories in Michigan, where you'd won last time, in Mississippi, such a big victory that he got all the delegates. You didn't even clear 15% to get, you know, anything, um, you know, spanking you pretty badly in Missouri, winning Idaho, um, and going neck and neck with you in one of your best states. Like, it's hard to to me to see what the path is for Bernie Sanders, short of, obviously, a major health crisis for Joe Biden, who, again, we should remember is a 77-year-old man. I mean, like, he seems to be pretty fit, but that's, you know, that's a pretty advanced age. Well, they're both pretty advanced. And, yeah, Sanders is even more advanced. And, you know, Sanders is the one who had a heart attack last year. Joe Biden's been, relatively speaking, healthier. So – um, from that perspective, you're saying it would take some kind of external system shock I think for so. Bernie Sanders at this point to be competitive for the nomination. Yeah. yeah. Especially but, the way the Democratic primary is structured, right? You just – you know, you're not – one of the advantages Donald Trump had last time in kind of coming in and actually getting that majority of the delegates late was that he could have winner-take-all states. So you didn't have to – you know, you could win by 10 points and get all the delegates out of the state. Mm. There's just no – there are no prizes like that for Bernie Sanders. So it's not just that he would have to beat Joe Biden. He would have to really beat Joe Biden handily. And it's just – it's really hard to do that. Once you're ahead in the delegate count by as much as Biden's ahead, it's it's hard to get back. Um, yeah. Again, sort of him starting to win 80-20, which just isn't going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, you know, the states um, that were that are coming up in a week, so Florida, Illinois, yep. Ohio, also Arizona, but the first yep. first three of those four, there's a lot of delegates coming from those states, um, and those states are not super Sanders-friendly no, in a good year for Sanders, and this right. is not turning out to be a good no. A good season for Sanders once we got yep. past South Carolina. Yep. Um, Biden is is cleaning up amongst um, you know middle aged older voters, yep. um, voters who don't consider themselves to be super liberal. Yep. Um, handily winning um, the African American vote, yep. not doing as well as amongst Latinos. Right. 
Uh, Sanders is still stronger amongst them, but but really that's that's just as much a regional effect right. um, as it is um, mm-hmm. an, an ethnic effect mm-hmm. from the data I saw. So yeah, so I mean, what you're going to see is either you know Biden has some sort of like major health you know crisis, right. or Sanders has some sort of stunning performance in the um, in the the two way debate that's going to happen this upcoming Sunday um, between him and Biden. Yeah. Um, in Arizona, which will not be before a live audience. It's going to be just them and the moderators, which oh, will be yeah. an interesting, like, uh, from a political mm-hmm. science standpoint, mm-hmm. will be very interesting. Maybe we Why is that? that. You- well, I mean, we've... I mean, it's often been said that um, it would be great if we could have debates without a live audience because mm-hmm. the live audience tends to just encourage candidates to sort of resort to more sort of demagoguery and mm-hmm. rhetoric than they Play to the crowd, yeah. Play to the crowd mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know... The, the most recent debate, Biden supporters were like, there seemed to be a disproportionate number of them in the crowd, and they got really, you know, sort of excited whenever time, every time Biden spoke, right? <laughs> and so if you just take the crowd out and you can focus more on the substance of the Joe, ideas. Joe, 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 Joe. Right. Um, it, it's also easier for the moderators to moderate right. when you don't have a crowd to deal with. Um, yep. You can focus more on. And now that you have just two people on stage as opposed to five or six right. or 12, um, yep. you can have more of a. Um, sort of an airing of, of ideas and, and maybe substance. Sure. Maybe that's wishful thinking. But if Sanders comes out and has a great performance and Biden just falls flat because he's not really had to, he's yeah. not really had experience debating a one-on-one since he debated Paul Ryan back during the VP debate yep, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, in mm-hmm. 2012. And that's, you know, that's been eight years. Eight years. Yeah. That's a long time. Yep. And Biden has definitely aged mentally right. since then. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if Biden yep. really falls flat on, you know, Sanders might be able to pick up some momentum in time for the Tuesday mm-hmm. debate. But then, like Andy said, he'd really have to clean up in those four states to even have a um, even a chance of getting right. enough delegates um, in the remaining races. Because by that yeah. point, the majority of the delegates would have been awarded. And I just don't think it matters that much. I mean, yeah. it, it's in, in short of some kind of – I just don't even know what kind of epic collapse Biden would have to have for the debate I mean, to he, swing He'd have to say something which was just abhorrent, right? He'd ha- I, mean, yeah. I was joking before we went on the air, but he'd have to like – Drop the N word a couple times and, yeah. and like or something like that, right? Yeah, he'd have to say something truly egregious that you know he think he cares about them, and, and I just he won't because that's not who Joe Biden is, right? I mean, he yeah. does care about those communities. Mm-hmm. You know, you can disagree with his policy solutions or his ways of advocating, but but he does, I think, genuinely care, and so. Like basically, he would have to not be Joe Biden, right? I mean, he, right. he might not have a great debate. He'd have to won't. have like a psychic break um, or something. But like yeah, that. there would have to be some kind of like you know somebody hacks his brain <laughs> and starts or to or real thing, evidence right? of, yeah. of of dementia, yeah, right? Real, yeah. real evidence of yeah. senility of some kind. Yeah, but even there, I'm skeptical. Like yeah. what he could do in that, just because I mean, he's already said some really offbeat things, right? And and the problem is because he's Joe Biden. He's almost proof. He's almost like got this immunity to that because people expect (laughs) him to say kind of offbeat things. It's like Donald Trump, right? It's like Mm. you can't. No one gets shocked by Donald Trump saying or tweeting crazy things anymore because it's just what Donald Trump does. It's his mo. You know this. And Joe Biden has the same kind of mo. He gets in front of an audience. He says something weird, and you're like, "Well, that's Joe, right?" Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, you know, I don't think he. I, I can't really imagine what he would have to say that would actually cause the debate to make enough of a difference to yeah. actually swing it. So if you were advising Joe Biden for this upcoming debate, it sounds like the advice you would give him is play it safe. Less is more. Be boring. Yep. And look distinguished and, and potentially presidential. Yep. And start focusing on Pivot. on Donald Trump. Yeah. Right? I mean, fo- start focusing yeah. on, you know, here's how I'm going to beat Donald Trump. Here's, you know, here's who I am and what I've done. Here's wh- who Donald Trump is and what he's done. What do you think, America? Right? That kind of appeal. Because I don't think you have to worry about locking up 
the Democratic primary base now anymore. You have to now think about how do I get to a majority in the electoral college? Yeah, because the people who are going to vote for Sanders, they're going to vote no matter what happens. Yeah. They'll probably some of right, them you're will not vote for him those even if he yeah. he decides to withdraw, right? Yep. Um, but Biden is is winning strongly amongst those people yep. who prioritize beating Donald Trump yep. in the general yep. election. Um, right. And all he needs to do is just drive those people out and start getting them fired up for the general election. Right. Right. And those, and the more you do that, I think the more anybody who's kind of on the fence is, is going to say, well, this guy's clearly the presumptive nominee. Right. And then, you know, and then, and then your campaign can run, you know, or Bloomberg can run some ads that, uh, you know, Sanders connections with Cuba or something like that. And you should be in pretty good shape. Yeah. So, all right, so two more quick things about this before we turn to um, the disease that's going to infect us all. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, first. <laughs> the disease of panic? Exactly. <laughs> you you right. stole my line. Gosh oh, darn it. Sorry. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> Wait, wait, can I, can I do one other thing before you oh, sure. your other two things? Because I'm this guy on the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I have to pick on Tulsi Gabbard because she is still in the Don't race, Don't pick too. on Tulsi. Tulsi Gabbard Leave is Tulsi the new alone. Michael Bennett. Dude. You heard it here. That, that can be your other proof line. Why? Um, Just why? She really is. I mean, like, Just... so here's my great thing. This is why I have to pick on her. I was looking at the results of the races. So Tulsi Gabbard, if you're keeping track at home, is the third, quote unquote, major candidate remaining in the race and the only other. <laughs> um she doesn't even appear on the top five leaderboard in four out of the six states that voted last night. I mean, Michael mm -hmm. Bloomberg, not in the race. Elizabeth Warren, not in the race. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg, not in the race. Amy Klobuchar, not in the race, are appearing ahead of her on leaderboards. Mm -hmm. um, you need to go. It's time to go. Go follow Michael Bennett and Joe Seastack and Mike Gravel out the door. Someone, um, whatever credibility go. you had is just. Yeah, I don't know what you're staying in for. It's just embarrassing. Like, you need to be able to finish third when you're there are three candidates in the race. If you're finishing sixth, when there are three candidates in the race, this is someone told someone told Tulsi Gabbard that if the other two candidates drop out and she's the one left, she gets to be the nominee. <laughs> yeah. And so she's just banking on uh, COVID-19, just taking Biden and Sanders. And then she's like, well, no one else is running. I guess it's me. Look, I'm a terrible, that's how I'm a terrible yeah. political predictor. However, there is no universe in 2020 mm -hmm. in which Tulsi Gabbard is the Democratic nominee. Yeah. Like, I don't that understand is just, what's happening here. That is, there is no possibility. And I, it is not like she has an interesting issue. I mean, if it was Andrew Yang hanging around to talk about, you know, universal basic income, Yang who endorsed uh, Biden on air last Biden, right? He's jumped on and absolutely that makes sense for him, I think. Um, it's, it's Bernie Sanders hanging around when he's doing not well. I mean, like he's got enough policy issues that I could sort of see it. If it's Elizabeth Warren, I could see it. But mm -hmm. yeah. what is Gabbard? I don't know what, what her thing is. Like, what's she doing? So she's setting up, is she fundraising for like a, she can run for governor of Hawaii or something? Maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe they love this in Hawaii. Maybe she's going to win Hawaii. <laughs> but big yeah. delegate hall there. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's like um, the, the other American Samoa anyway. Okay. So, right. so, so a couple quick things. And this is, this is a, this is a more political science question yes. for you. Not about Tulsi Gabbard. Or Michael Bennett. Uh, uh. Also not about Michael Bennett. <laughs> He's like wow. Michael Bennett, <laughs> here's the, here's my, here's my question. Yeah. The uh, we shouldn't assume that every Sanders voter is going to naturally go to Biden. In fact, there probably are some Sanders yeah. Trump voters who say, "Well, mm -hmm. if I can't if I can't have Bernie, right. I might as well have Donald." Right. But like the stick it to the system types. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, do Do we have any sense of how big that population is? Oh, this leads to my second question. I, not big. I would say not big. I mean, I think there probably are some of them who are just anti-establishment. We want the outsider. My guess is the bigger problem is going to be for Biden is going to be the people who just stay home, right? The people, the young people who are enthused about Bernie Sanders, 
who are just like, ah, Joe yeah. Biden, Donald Trump, what's the difference? Although that youth like vote it. has not bailed Sanders no, out yet. It's no. been lower than he expected. Turnout right. overall has yep. been up, 26% up yep. on yep. average mm-hmm. since 2016, but not amongst young people. Right. Yeah, right. the youth youth turnout yeah. in some of these states that are supposed to be Sanders, yeah. like, yeah. good for Sanders, has actually been down since yeah. 2016, yep. which is yeah. truly astonishing. So yeah. there's actually, you know, some worry that you know, the youth aren't going to come out and vote yeah. for Biden. Right. And I may have mentioned this on this podcast before, but I mean, one of the books I've been teaching in senior sem this, this year, in fact, we just finished, um, is a book by um, Pippa Norris and Ronald Englehart um, mm-hmm. on the, kind of the Trump and Brexit phenomenon. And one of the things they talk about in there is the representational crisis, which is basically that, you know, the government of the country is often not representative of what the, the population desires. And one of the reasons it's not is because of exactly that voting gap, right? That old people vote, older people vote at a higher level really in relation to their proportion of the population. Younger people undervote, right? Mm. Um, and then it's kind of this, you know, one of my friends was, political science friends was talking about this on Facebook this morning. But like, you know, it's a self kind of reinforcing um, cycle, right? Where basically then they feel like, oh, my voice doesn't matter. And so then they feel less incentivized to turn out. They don't turn out. And of course, <laughs> it doesn't matter because then their candidates are even less likely to win, right? And so it's um, it, it's another illustration, I think, of that, that problem. Um, and Sanders, you know, when you lean on the young voters, they are really, you know, that's a dicey proposition. Yeah. This leads to my second question, though, which is in national um, hypothetical national polls. Let me be clear mm-hmm. here: the polls are not hypothetical; they actually happened. <laughs> they're, they're real polls. They're about a hypothetical race between right. either Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. Yep. And we've been doing this all. Th- we've been yep. avoiding talking about these polls because I don't think they're very useful right. until now. But both of those candidates, Biden and Sanders, have leads over Donald Trump. My question is. Do we think those leads will continue to persist once we land on a specific Democratic nominee? Like once people know it's Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, will he maintain a lead in a head-to-head matchup with Donald Trump or will that will that hypothetical evaporate? I mean, historically, those leads narrow typically yeah. as mm-hmm. the general election gets closer. Right. Now – Whichever at, way they're going. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So, it will narrow. The question yep. is how much and that's yep. anybody's guess at this point. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, that's going to depend on, you know, I think how this whole, whole coronavirus thing plays out um, amongst other things and, and yep. how effective um, Biden is in sort of mm-hmm. carrying the mantle um, right. because, you know, now he's going to get into the grueling um, general election season. And, you know, the question is, is he going to have the stamina? Um, and he's going to be getting a lot more public attention now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and a lot of people are going to be tuning in who maybe weren't paying attention. Yep. Um, because, you know, let's face it, the majority of Americans aren't really tuned in even to the primary process. That's going to change. And is he going to be able to withstand the scrutiny, have the stamina to sort of go go the full sort of course of the marathon, so to speak? Yeah. And I think that's kind of a an open question. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, how well mm-hmm. Donald Trump handles the coronavirus crisis, how well right. he can manage that, or at least how right. well people think he's managing it, right? Yep. Um, so those are going to have fact play in, and who knows at this point. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing we should note with the polling is, I mean, like, you know, Hillary Clinton consistently led national polls over Donald Trump. And in fact, those ended up being pretty accurate. She beat him by about 3 million votes. Mm-hmm. But he also won handily in the Electoral College. And so the other thing to keep an eye on is those state-to-state yep. um, exactly. kind of polling matchups. And th- those are much more of an, you know, they're more interesting in some ways. I mean, there there are early leads for Democrats, particularly Biden in Pennsylvania, which, of course, was a big mm-hmm. win for Trump and an unexpected win. There's early leads in Michigan. Um, Florida is neck and neck, basically. Wisconsin mm-hmm. looks pretty tight. Actually, Sanders pulls a little better than Biden 
um, against Trump there. But again, I just don't know how much to, you know, how seriously to take those at this point. They're all reasonably close. Right. Um, what we haven't seen yet is, you know, the Trump machine, you know, turning on Biden and trying to define exactly. him, which they will. Um, and they've got a lot of money. They've been racking up money for the reelection campaign while the Democrats have had to, you know, play against each other. And we also haven't seen what Michael Bloomberg is going to do. And he seems to be indicating that he's willing to dump a lot of money into trying to bring down Donald Trump. One man super matters. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and again, like you want to run attack ads on Donald Trump, right? You can run attack ads if you're Michael Bloomberg, and you can pretty much buy as many as you think would be useful. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, it's maybe worth refreshing people's memory, but like, you know, what Michael Bloomberg can't do is just kind of give unlimited money to Joe Biden's campaign. There are campaign restrictions, but he can form this independent organization of, you know, for citizen interests in this case, right? right? Um, as defined by Michael Bloomberg, and and then run <laughs> yeah. as many attacks on Trump and on the Republicans and about mm-hmm. this issue and that issue as he wants to, and right. and I. He seems to be indicating he will do exactly that. Yeah. And, and he's done this in the past. I mean, he's spent a lot of money on campaigns. Yeah. So Yeah, so that, that might be the equalizer because Trump yep. is sitting on a huge amount yep. of money. And he's got a great campaign organization in a lot yes. of these critical states. Yes. Um, and we'll yes. see, you know, mm-hmm. if the Democrats are able to sort of put something together to go up against him. And, and yep. as you said, Andy, what, yeah. what's going to be important is don't pay as much attention to the national polls, especially once right. we get into the summer. There's going to be lots of polling in key right. states. Pay attention to the aggregates of polls within right. the key battleground states yep, right. so that we can, you know, better project, given the Electoral yeah. College math, you know, what what sort of the, you know, the course to victory is um, for, for both of these two nominees. Yeah. And I think the thing to remember, too, like, so our late, our late colleague, Stacey Hunter-Heck, co-wrote a book a few years back about, you know, the 10 states that matter, right, in the in the general election. Um, and I don't remember off the top of my head which 10 she had fingered. It wasn't Hawaii. Point. Sorry, it um, It was not Hawaii. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but, you know, th- these are the states that could go one way or the other, right? And so you're going to want to watch those ones um, carefully. Trump swung a number of those states last time. Mm-hmm. Um, do they swing back to the Democrats? Is there any room for Trump to swing a state like Minnesota or New Hampshire um, that was close but didn't quite go for him last time? Um, that's the thing to, to watch. I mean, like, you yeah. know, some states right now, we know what, you know, we can call California today, right? Um, it will vote for Sanders or Biden or anybody else. Who's or you and me if we were running as Democrats. Color. Yeah, if we were the or Democratic Tulsi. candidates, they would, they would vote for us. Or Tulsi for that matter. No, yeah. they won't vote for Tulsi. <laughs> they would even vote for Tulsi if she was the Democratic candidate. But uh, over Donald Trump. But, you know, like, those other states are interesting. There's enough of a swing there that, you know, you can imagine Pennsylvania going one way yeah. or the other or North Carolina even or somewhere like yeah. that. So, yeah. I mean, so we'll two see. things to note. I mean, Trump is more unpopular and his approval numbers are lower than when he was running, which they weren't. He wasn't likable or that well yeah. approved of at that point. So you have that. Mm-hmm. You also have the fact that um, Hillary Clinton did not run a good campa- campaign right. in mm-hmm. some of these critical yep. Upper Midwest states, um, right. Wisconsin and Michigan right. and Pennsylvania, and yeah. I'm pretty sure Biden and company are not going to make the right. same mistake mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Trump uh, surprised her, absolutely. Yeah, and, that's and not going to happen. Now the but. flip side is there is a lot of energy and support for Donald yeah. Trump. Now yeah, there is, um, especially amongst his base, and yep. they're going to be fired up, and they're going to yep. get out. They will get out and, and canvas yes, and I volunteer agree. and certainly vote. I mean, it's been amazing to look at the number of people who came out to vote in the Republican primary, right? For Donald Trump when, you know, it's basically <laughs> uncontested for all right. practical purposes. Right. Yeah. And in states where that was the only race that was actually on yeah. the ballot, right? They still came out in considerable numbers yeah. just because they want to signal their support. So so yeah. I think that's, that's you know, something to keep in mind as well, that he is um, – he does have – sort of deep support amongst a certain group. So let me ask you this question. So you're right. I think he does have this base of people who just yep. like Donald Trump and yeah. just want him to be in office for 
for policy reasons, for personality reasons, for anti-establishment reasons. But one of the things that we can say about Joe Biden with a certain amount of definitiveness is that he is not a woman. Um, Yes. uh, I will agree with that. Yep. That's not fake um, news. Yeah, and he will agree with that too. <laughs> and he's not Hillary Clinton specifically. And so right. um, a lot of the analysis coming <laughs> out of true. 2016 was trying to evaluate amongst the people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. There were people like his core supporters who just like him for the reasons we've we've mm-hmm. enumerated. Mm-hmm. But there are also people who were never Hillary or never Clinton yeah, yeah, voters. Right, right. And I just – my initial supposition, until proven otherwise, is that there's a much larger group of never Clinton voters than there are probably a group of never Biden yes, voters. Yeah, yes. That was, yeah, that was always and, the problem for Hillary. And, yeah, that, and, and, and we're still trying to yeah. figure out – we still don't have a good evidence to know whether that was because Hillary was a woman. Uh, it still is a woman, but was running as a yeah, yeah. <laughs> was running as a woman, um, or whether it was specific to Hillary Clinton herself. Yeah, um, and it might have been a mix of both of those things. But either way, we're taking those equations, those things out of the equation, and so yeah. I think that although people might still be voting for Donald Trump because mm-hmm. they like him, and certainly there are significant powers of incumbency in the presidency, yeah. Joe Biden does not give some of those same yeah. categorical rationalizations for voting for Donald Trump in the in the way that Hillary Clinton did. Right. And I think that might be right. also one of the reasons why he's doing so much better against Sanders yep. than she did back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a working yeah. class white who's not maybe – you know, as ideological, right? I mean, like, I think it's a lot easier to persuade yourself to vote for Joe Biden yeah. than to vote for Hillary Clinton. So it's going to be interesting to see if you do get some swing back from those voters. I mean, that's been one of Joe Biden's big cases is that I can bring some of those people back in Pennsylvania and Ohio, you know, probably not enough numbers in Ohio to swing that state. But, but you know, it would be interesting to see, like, can he persuade some of them to kind of come back toward the Democratic Party? Yeah. He thinks yes. Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting with Clinton versus Sanders is, you know, Sanders is really not that well liked by women, right? Yeah, right. But Biden doesn't have that problem that yeah. Sanders does. Um, yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons Biden is is doing better yeah. than Clinton, um, to yeah. some extent, is mm-hmm. because you know overall he's he's more well liked than yep. he, he just doesn't have the yeah. same sort of like baggage for yeah. whatever reason that, that I mean, Clinton does. This was always a huge concern when you had Hillary as the front runner for the Democrats. It's just her negatives were so high, right? They were mm-hmm. they were near fifty, and it's. It just it was like, wow, this is a real gamble to nominate somebody who's got such high negatives to start with and and who's so well known, right? I mean, it's it's not like people, you know, thought they disliked her, but they didn't, weren't really sure. It's like, no, we know who this is and we don't like her, right? right. Um, and it, it it is tricky. I mean, I think there is some real evidence of a gender bias um, that women have a harder time kind of persuading the voters. Um, there's just sort of a, a block in people's minds. But I think with Hillary, that was all tied in with, I mean, you know, she's part of this past administration, which had a kind of mixed relationship with the American people. And, um, right. and you know, like she and, – and, you know, her husband did all these more negative things, right? But he was very charming in a way that she wasn't. And so she always kind of seemed like the kind of the boring Clinton, right? And – yeah, I just think, unfortunately for her, like a lot of that just stuck with her. And, and some of it was probably fair and some of it was probably not. But, exactly. But this is yeah. what kind of people had as an impression of her. Um, Biden has been around for a long time, too, but he does not have that kind of deep negative. And I exactly. think that, that helps at the margins. Is it enough? We'll see. Exactly. This is going to be a really interesting election. Yeah. Um, so, and here's my uh, – oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. So um, this is – 
more speculation than political sciency. But well, I mean, one thing that's to be never looking, stopped us before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing to be looking at is yeah. when does Joe Biden decide who his VP, yeah. um, his running mate, is going to be, and when he announces that. Well, I don't know if you I, noticed that, if you saw this or not, but James Clyburn, whose endorsement was very public and very mm-hmm. noted in the midst of the yeah. South Carolina primary, has said that Joe Biden needs to pick an African American woman as his VP, which takes the list down to about. Four, as yes. far as I can figure. But I don't think Jim Clyburn is the last word on this. Either, no, he's not. So. But um, but I think he's got a point here, which is that Joe Biden needs to pick somebody who is going to diversify the ticket and yeah. also reassure people about Biden's age. Right, and so I, yeah. and which is actually why I am not sure. Like, I mean, who are your th- your four? Like Abrams, Harris. Those are the top two. Yeah. I think there's a couple others you could kind of add See, to that list. And I think I would. I mean, I, you know. I hate to disagree with Jim Clyburn, who's from my home state and is a respected figure, but I actually think that would be a mistake. I, don't, I think you're then you're locking up voters who you already have, um, and yep. you're potentially concerning voters that are debating. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a um, it's potentially a little bit of a Sarah Palin pick. Not that those candidates would be as ill informed as Sarah Palin was in '08, but but it's the you're trying to play to a base that's probably going to turn out and vote for you anyway. And you're going to concern the voters who are on the fence, right? Hmm. I think you pick a reassuring pick. I mean, I think Amy Klobuchar is an obvious. Well, you you pick somebody <laughs> like a Mike Pence, right. right? Somebody who doesn't. Mike Pence will be vice president no matter what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a there actually was an election where there was one vice presidential candidate. That was our um, South Carolina's own John Calhoun, who is like in the weird 1824 election where there were like five different like factional candidates running. Mm-hmm. Like Calhoun was the vice presidential candidate. It's like we're debating who to like for president, but it's going to be Calhoun. It's going to be. Uh, for VP. He's definitely the number two. We're sticking with him. Um, but no, I mean, I would say like you, I think you do need to diversify the ticket. I would be surprised if the, um, you know, the new vice president, if she is elected, will not be Madam Vice President. I right. would be kind of surprised if it's Mr. Vice President. But um, but I think, you know, going with a um, a woman from middle America is mm-hmm. probably a more likely choice, which makes a kind of Amy Klobuchar an appealing option. If you're concerned about your progressive base turning out, maybe you think about Elizabeth Warren. She's thoroughly vetted. Um, but yeah, somebody like that seems like a, a kind of safer choice. It's diversity to a degree. It's not two white males, but um, you, again, I mean, you, you have to figure out how do you win back middle America? And I think Amy Klobuchar yeah. helps you there. I think Stacey Abrams, you're concerned about experience. Um, she's a very inexperienced candidate for a 78-year-old president. Um, mm, and Kamala true. Harris, you know, I don't know. I just, Wait, I'm not sure what constituency she really helps you with. She did she not necessarily help you with African Americans. No, they were not loud by her. They did not yeah. particularly like Fair. her. They like. And so yeah, Abrams I mean, would be a much better pick in that regard. If she would definitely be a much better pick in that regard. But I think she's a very concerning pick for people on the fence who are saying, "Whoa, you know that that does feel like the Sarah Palin pick." Again, I don't want to knock Stacey Abrams, who I think is is a well informed per- leader, but she just doesn't have a lot of experience. And when you have an old candidate yep. as Biden is and as McCain was in 08, that is particularly concerning. It's yep. less of a concern if you're Barack Obama in 08 and you're 47, right? Yep. Um, but do you yeah. know what you should be concerned with when you're uh, when you're 78 and running for president? Um, Social Security. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you're good. You're good. Shaking lots and lots of hands. Yes, you should. I want to be and hugging people if you're Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the odd back rub here and there. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> it is odd. Let's be honest. Oh, okay. Joe. Um, and I've I've sort of speculatively floated 
the idea of what happens if Biden, Sanders, or Trump gets uh, COVID-19 between now and the election. I still think that's a live possibility. Yeah. Uh, Mark uh, Meadows apparently is being quarantined for this. So. Yeah, we've got a, um, and Ted Cruz is, oh, Ted cor- Cruz? is, is, oh. is, is self-quarantined. Okay. Um, but here's the uh, here's here's the bigger question: um, How much does this does COVID nineteen yeah. matter in the election? Now, when I, now, let me be clear here: I don't mean that Donald Trump is going to declare martial law and cancel the election. <laughs> I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. But is <laughs> is there? Your phones are silver colored, though they are. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. More to the point, I I do wonder if this disease becomes virulent enough or. Mm-hmm. Um, problematic enough uh already economists are saying there's a better than even chance that we enter into some kind of a recession this year Mm -hmm. globally Mm -hmm. as a result of the disease and the lost productivity yep yep could the disease itself swing the election oh that's it's so hard to say i mean so you know elections can be affected so the incumbents you know Incumbent presidents, when the economy is doing badly, tend to get dinged, regardless yep. of if it's their yep. fault. Which usually, you know, presidents they don't have a lot of economic power anyway, no. right? But no. they get hammered, you know, when they get the credit and they get the blame. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, so you have that factor. On the other hand, there's the effect of people don't like to change horses midstream, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They don't like to change leadership in the midst of a crisis. However, that could be offset if people perceive Donald Trump as not effectively managing the crisis. Right. Um, is, and right. The, the analogy Biden that is, we've heard is like, is this Donald Trump's Hurricane Katrina? Right. Right. Is this a heck of a job, Brownie? <laughs> yeah. Problem, right. That's yeah. the thing. Um, Biden, or excuse me. Trump hasn't really had to deal with that much in the way of crises yeah. um, over the past. And he's, you know, been blessed with a good economy. So yeah. he's not really faced this sort yep. of challenge before. Right. Um, and this is going to be a real test of his mm-hmm. sort of administrative mm-hmm. skills, which, um, you know, has never been his strong suit. Nope. Um, and so even if the bureaucracies do a decent job managing the problem, if people perceive him as yep. bungling, you know, bungling the job or, you know, making sort of non-factual statements which he's been doing um or just not um sort of you know exuding the sort of leadership qualities that people want in the midst of a crisis you know that could be enough to sort of push his opponent over the edge right and you know if trump wins it's not going to be my much he he has a razor thin margin yeah yeah um so he doesn't have he can't afford to lose that many people right um, so it won't take much to push um, whoever his mm-hmm. opponent is over over the edge and yeah. win. You know, the race with Joe Biden, it's very hard for me to imagine him getting north of 50 percent on popular vote. Right. Yeah. But he could still win with less than that. Obviously, okay. he did last time. But I think that's a real issue. Um, I think he's done. I mean, you know, one thing that he's done that is kind of cunning, I think. And, and I do think Donald Trump has a, a sort of basic kind of political cunning um, that that has allowed him to get some things done, right, is he put Mike Pence in charge of this. That Mm -hmm. was probably a good idea for two reasons. I mean, one reason I think it's a good idea is because Mike Pence actually does have the kind of experience that suggests he could probably administer this better than some people, better than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. He gives the vice president something to do. The other is it gives you a scapegoat. Um, Hmm. And and Donald Trump would not be above, I think, um, dumping Pence if he had to. Like, if this goes badly, one option for him would be to say, well, I'm really disappointed in Mike Pence. That just didn't work out very well. Right. I'm having to keep working with this for the remainder, but I'm going to, you know, choose a new VP. Uh, American people want somebody who they have a little yeah. more confidence in, right? Um, and you could try shoving this off. I don't know it's how well it works. It's keeping this brand too. I it fi- is. I fire people yeah. who don't work well for That's me. That's right. And so, you know, and and I, 
I mean, I think Pence has been a very loyal VP to, to Donald Trump. He's served yeah. him, I think, quite well. But but I don't think Donald Trump necessarily has that level of loyalty to, to Mike Pence. Sure. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of an interesting option, which I would be a little surprised if it hasn't at least crossed Donald Trump's mind. Yeah. Um, that by putting Pence in charge of this, you kind of have this, you know, this card you can try to play of this isn't really my fault. I thought Mike Pence could do this. He was governor after all. I'm sorry. It didn't work out. Yeah. But we're going to get a new vice president and make America great again, again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I would be, I'm, I'm actually like usually pretty optimistic about our ability as in terms of healthcare to actually take care of this. I, mm-hmm. I, I continue to feel that way. I do think the, the chance of economic downturn is mm-hmm. significant. And especially yeah. as people continue to panic and, you know, do, you know, close things down somewhat, maybe a little precipitously. Um, I think there is a good chance that that does hit somewhere. And then that could be a problem for Trump. Yeah. And that's putting real pressure on members of Congress and yep. Trump to, to do something yep. about the problem. Yep. Right. So right. there, right. you know, is currently, um, some ideas being floated about, right. you know, fiscal stimulus, um, which could involve, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. cutting certain taxes or... He's talked about a, pay- or, a payroll tax payroll. holiday. Yeah. Which, yeah, through the election. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. You know, or, you know, the, so that's more of the Republican proposal. The Democrats, yep. you know, want... Mm-hmm. Well, to, well, to, to be clear, writing. no one in Trump's administration except for Donald Trump is is likes the idea of a payroll tax holiday. Yeah. Um, and it feels like true. when, when well, Obama was like, or at least some of the strategic oil reserves to bring down the price of gas, you know, that kind of thing. Right. For the election, I mean, it feels like a very clear kind of political play, right? Sure. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see if you see, um, you know, Democrats, you know, are wanting sort of your basic kind of fiscal yeah. stimulus. Government starts writing checks for for companies to do programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you just sort of blanket fiscal stimulus, or if there's more of a targeted yeah. sort of aid to certain sectors of the economy mm-hmm. that are really being hurt. So, like you know, the airline industry yeah. or. Right. Um, the, you know, the hospitality or your industry or whatever, um, you know, the oil industry, which is just getting hammered right now for other reasons as well. So, um, mm-hmm. which that is probably going to be a more effective, um, economic tack yeah. by providing targeted aid to industries that are hurt to sort of tie them mm-hmm. over until we get through this, as opposed to sort of, a, you know, blanket, um, fiscal stimulus, because, you know, let's face it, people aren't going to change your behavior if they get, a few hundred dollars back in taxes, or if they have their tax deadline, you know, you know, April, you know, fifteenth, the tax deadline, you know, deferred by a few months. That's not going to change people's behavior. Right. People aren't going to start jumping on airplanes right. and going on vacations, <laughs> especially um, not that. Espe- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for apparently our TAs who are oh, about yeah. to head off to spring break, yeah. right? So. TAs. Can I um, <laughs> can I just take a quick second and explain why the oil industry is hurting so badly in the United yes, States? Please Let's do. talk. And about... then and then I want to ask you guys about social panics, and then I want to wrap. All so right. here's Sounds the uh, here's the here's the explanation for the oil. Um, because of COVID-19, mm-hmm. not really for much else, uh, global consumption of oil has dropped quite a bit. It's kind of amazing to me that simply the um, strictures of this disease and the sort of the res- reticence to travel has caused global oil consumption to drop. So this is from jet fuel, but also from just cars. People are just yeah. not going as many places wow. and they're not going out. As a consequence... The various countries of OPEC met last week to try to come mm-hmm. up with essentially well, OPEC is a cartel, and right. so they, they try to basically adjust production to manage the price of oil in a way that is lucrative for all of them. Mm-hmm. And Saudi Arabia was part of a group that wanted to cut production to keep the price of oil relatively high. So as right. as demand is dropping right. off, close off production too. Mm-hmm. 
Russia did not want to go along with this. Russia, and I shouldn't say a couple other countries, but it was right. mostly Russia that sort of countering Saudi Arabia, who wanted to keep production relatively high. And there's a couple of reasons for that, but primarily um, Putin is currently trying to amend the constitution in, in Russia yes, to allow him to be president <laughs> through 2036. And it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, he, he, needs, oh, yeah. he needs the oil industry in Russia to continue to be solvent and continue to be lucrative. Right. And so they oppose this. So because they couldn't reach an agreement, Saudi Arabia decided to basically do an about face. So rather than trying to cut production, Saudi Arabia cranked production to the max. And oh, Saudi wow. Arabia is just dumping oil into the global market, which is just cratered the price. Now, this is a price war. So Saudi Arabia is basically calculating that they can afford to be, to eat the pain of low oil prices. And oil's down close to $30 a barrel. Wow. Um, they can just afford to eat this price longer than anybody else can. And what they're yeah. looking at are, pe- are places like Russia and places like North Dakota, mm. where it is comparatively more expensive to suck oil out of the yep. ground than it is in Saudi Arabia. So they're yep. banking. These other places will suffer more and then they can ex- – and they can have more of a market share in the future. Uh, so that's what's sense. happening. So uh, although the United States is not an OPEC member and not a huge player in the in the global oil uh, right. uh, field, um, they do export oil. At least they yeah. have the last um, right. eight or nine years. They've been a global oil exporter, and so right. um, oil sa- oil shale sands in in North Dakota and elsewhere are are suffering right now, right. and they're suffering because that oil is comparatively expensive. And so that's what what's happening inside the United States. So yeah. at, at the same time, the oil industry is suffering. Your gas prices are comparatively cheap. Yeah, yeah. So and that's the thing making you know, me sad. I'm not traveling for spring break. Right, right. Yeah, ten or twenty years ago, um, you know, the the dropping of crude oil and, and the gas prices would have been sort of an unvarnished good for the U.S. Yeah. But right. now that we are a producer, right, right. It's, it's um, a mixed good for sure. It's it's yeah. a mixed good, and yeah. so you know, and really because everyone is sort of putting their spending yeah. on pause, whatever savings you're getting in gas or whatever savings right. companies are getting on you know the fuel costs, right, right, is not going to be sort of passed on to the rest of the economy. No, so, it's not. So this is more. Up for their lost this is more of a harm for the yeah. U.S. now. Um, yeah. Than, than yeah. a good, I would right. say. Yeah. So, Agreed. I will say, if I'm looking for good news, and I'm going to give you guys some good news now. All right. I think <laughs> the fact that the COVID-19 virus is hitting the United States in March of 2020 mm-hmm. is way better than if it was hitting us in September of 2020. Okay. Yes. Um, we have this is this is a fairly novel virus, but the effect it's having on the American population is not novel. We are experiencing mm-hmm. we are in the midst of what I would classify as a classic cl- um, community panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Community panics can happen from diseases. Yep. They certainly happened with H1N1. They happened yep. with um, uh, SARS. They've happened yeah. with other kinds of diseases. But uh, they also happen with things that are not diseases. Y2K was a classic right. social panic. Right. And we, yep. we see certain sets of observable behaviors. You cannot mm-hmm. buy a roll of toilet paper at Costco right now um, <laughs> or a bottle of water. <laughs> now, I don't know what people are thinking is going to happen with COVID-19, but yeah. it does not induce diarrhea. So people stop <laughs> buying toilet paper. That is not how you die. Buy. Well, I shouldn't say that. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. Please buy an appropriate amount, amount of, of toilet, toilet paper. paper. Stop please continue, please continue paper. to use sanitary products. Just use them in a normal, moderate amount. Um, <laughs> yes. Likewise, I'm stop afraid. hoarding hand sanitizer, my friends. <laughs> 
We don't need to do this to ourselves. We are doing this to ourselves. Wow. Uh, as somebody who studies uh, um, terrorism, uh, this is exactly what happens. Terrorism yeah. itself yeah. doesn't cause that much harm or yeah. damage. It's the reaction to it. Right. And we are reacting. Right. The damage we're doing is to ourselves. It's not, yep. it's not what COVID-19 is doing to us. Yep. And – I'm even worried about what's happening at our institution here, guys. Can we yeah. – and mostly we focus on international politics yep. and national politics. Mm-hmm. But can we talk about university politics here for yeah, a second? Yeah. So far, our our beloved institution, Bethel University, has behaved what I would say is quite moderately yes, in mm-hmm. response to COVID-19. And I would like to commend our administrators. Yes. I don't know if any of them are listening to this. But if they are, good job. Mm-hmm. All we've done so far is the very prudent measure of – Canceling international spring break trips yep. that are sponsored by the university. Yep. Great. And then we have a committee that's tracking this. And seems entirely reasonable. But there are universities across the country which are closing for fairly specious reasons. And I want to explain why I think that's yeah, happening. Yeah. Um, so University of Washington closed, 57,000 students. Um, and that seems reasonable to me. There's yeah, a, there's pretty extensive outbreaks of yeah. COVID-19 currently in the in the yep. Seattle-Washington yep. area. Seattle Pacific, a small Christian school. People so died out there. Bethel yeah. has closed as well. And when I say closed, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is they're no longer holding face-to-face classes. Instead, they've encouraged faculty to continue classes in an online format. Encourage or required? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Okay. I believe I believe required. I yeah, say. I believe the courses are still in session. They're just like, not meeting. Yeah. yeah. What's the enforcement mechanism? But Exactly. Anyway. So as a faculty yeah. member, we have a lot of autonomy in terms of how <laughs> we conduct lot. our classes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still have to give grades to students who are enrolled in my classes. And how I do that is, is up to, to me and my design and my integrity. So encouraged is probably the right word. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, guys. And, and in New York, a number of uh, schools have closed New York. And then the next big wave of schools to close were basically Ivy League schools. Yeah, Ivy so, League is freaking yeah. out. Uh, Columbia, Harvard, Yale, um, yep. Cornell have all suspended face-to-face yep. classes. And in Harvard's case, somewhat bizarrely, they've actually said that students have five days to move out. And they're just clearing the campus. Now, most schools, including Washington, have said that dorms remain open, food service remains yeah. open. Yeah. We're going to continue to like, you know, essentially run the institution. We're just not going to have face-to-face classes. Yeah. But <laughs> Harvard's actually just dismissing everybody, which it's is really weird. problematic given how many students at Harvard are international students yeah. and can't easily get so home weird. because of, wait for it, COVID-19. Right. It's getting closer to Bethel, uh, Ohio State. Uh, my beloved uh, um, PhD uh, alma mater uh, is now gone online only. So has Michigan State as yep. of a couple of hours ago. Grinnell College in Iowa is, yeah. is now closed. Uh, One of the students said St. Thomas had. I have not seen that. St. Thomas has encouraged – this is much okay. much more mild. Okay. But they've encouraged faculty as much as possible to move to online. So okay. has the University of Minnesota. So they haven't officially closed. Okay. They've Please. just said, please – Try is faculty. Okay. Please try not to hold class face to face if you can help it. <laughs> try basically, <not> to. <laughs> right? I mean, like try try, try to it, quit, but if you basic, can't quit, don't. Basically, like yeah, <laughs> I can't quit you. Um, basically, if you can find a way to have this on, have have your stuff online, do it. Okay. I think we're probably headed in the same direction for two reasons. One, it's we're safety in numbers. So other schools have given us political yeah. cover to yeah, to, have, to basically close the campus, and two. There's dis uh, there's asymmetric incentives here, so mm-hmm. we don't get rewarded for continuing to hold classes. 
but we get punished very badly if we do hold classes and someone gets sick or God forbid dies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're uh, even though there probably isn't much benefit to closing the school, nope. the chances we do close the school I think are, are high enough that mm-hmm. I, like you guys, have started to plan online courses uh, for how, or how to convert my my face to face courses into online courses. I've gone as far as having thoughts about it. I haven't yeah, you know, um, done I, anything. I'm so not I going think, to do anything until they they tell me to. But, yeah, I think this is going to be a, but, a huge huge headache. Yeah. It is. And, and, so, it's, and an inferior learning experience when you try to, on the fly, turn a face-to-face into an online. I mean, like, yeah. students will not be getting really what they paid for in some sense. Yeah. And they're not at these institutions. Yeah. I mean, right. paid but, to be at Harvard and, and be in classes, and now you're getting some sort of second-rate online class. Right. Like, I mean, the weird thing uh, is, is, like, you're – you know, schools canceling might prevent the propagation or the, the spread of the virus at the school if a critical yeah. mass of students get it. But yeah. that only works if you completely shut down the campus. If everyone's right. still sitting in the dorms, which, yeah. as we all know, are giant Petri dishes anyway, right. um, it can still spread, right? Well, on top it of can. that, and, and, I would and, say, and if, and if yeah. school's let out yeah. and everyone goes home, well, are they, is everyone going home to just sit at home and yeah. not talk? With no, they're going to no. congregate. They're going to meet with each other. And yeah. so... And they'll have more opportunities so to this, collect the virus. They'll have more opportunities if they have it to give it to more vulnerable populations because college students are among the least vulnerable populations right. in terms of actually getting this and having seriously bad effects because right. they're young, they're healthy, right? Um, and yeah, so instead the, you're gonna be like, well, go send, go home and hang out with aging parents and grandparents who are much more vulnerable right. Um, right. to this. I mean, I just – I think it's a – it's a classic, you know, kind of you're kind of cover yourself from lawsuits yeah. and you're making a decision that, you know, is it helpful to you personally as administrators because, oh, I won't get blamed? Yes. Is it a courageous decision that actually is for the public good? I'm extremely doubtful. Yeah. So, so. it has more to do with the institution's reputation yep. and good than yep. the good yep. of the Absolutely. particular You don't want a bad news story. Right. Now, let me, let me make a case here for why I think the proper policy is perhaps to minimize the number of face-to-face classes – but at the same time, to continue to keep dorms open, keep food service open, mm-hmm. essentially encourage people to stay. In encourage people to stay. Yep. The, if we're trying to think about keeping people from getting the coronavirus, or getting people from getting COVID nineteen, we're doing it wrong. Yeah. This disease is virulent enough, and the and the saturation rate is 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 high enough, as we've seen in places like Italy and China. Trying to mitigate against people catching the disease is the wrong approach. Now, obviously. Individually, you right. should wash your hands. Right. You should not touch your face. Right. You should, you know, take proper precautions. But what I'm, but if we're, if as an institution, we're trying to keep up from getting the disease, we're fighting a losing battle. Yeah. What we should be trying to do is prevent everybody from getting the disease at once. Yeah. And right. so this is about flattening the curve mm-hmm. of, of infection rates. Mm-hmm. So sending a bunch of people home doesn't really do that. No. But Keeping them from congregating in large groups like classes or mm-hmm. chapels mm-hmm. or sporting events or vespers or other kinds of large-scale events that we hold sure. here on campus, that can do that. So I'm actually mm-hmm. okay if we keep students here on campus in the dorms, even knowing that the dorms eventually will become a place where people do catch COVID-19. As long as we do it over the period of, say, a couple right. of months rather than a couple of weeks. Because sure. that means our health services can yeah. be equipped to handle that spike in cases. Yeah. And now we're not talking about every case. We're talking about the cases where there's actually a right. serious condition yeah, here. Right. We're, just trying to, we're just trying to manage resources. And yeah. so yep. – I'm actually okay. I, what I would propose for any school listening to this, and I know that lots of university administrators oh, okay. across the country are listening to this podcast. We're so popular with university administrators. <laughs> if, if, if we can convince like people like oh, right. political scientists, English majors, um, 
yeah. uh, philosophers to hold online classes where they can do that without too many costs of pedagogical necessity. Do that. Hold the, let the let the chemists, let the biologists, the people who need lab space, the people who need electron scanning microscopes, let them keep running their labs, which are not huge in the mm-hmm. first place. Let all that continue to take place. Get rid of the basketball games. Get rid of the choir concerts. Yeah. Get rid of the large gatherings. And then let co- let school continue sort of normal with the knowledge that there's going to be some health concerns. Yeah. But we're going to we're going to we're going to attenuate the infection mm-hmm. rate. That should be the strategy right now. Yeah. That's going to be that's going to take some courage because yeah. that's going to be acknowledging that you're going to have conversations with parents where students are going to get infected, but they're going to yeah. get infected either here or home. Right. We it's might as well be reasonable about this. I'm, what I guess we're reacting to. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking a lot here. No, but, that's good. Uh, Yasha Mounk just wrote a piece uh, for The Atlantic called Cancel Everything. I should m- mention that Yasha Mounk is, <laughs> is not an epidemiologist and not a public health official. But what he's what, – essentially what he's arguing is just yeah. uh, like we need to fi- – we need to get rid of every public event and just get rid of and, – and I think that that is really wrongheaded. Oh, we yeah. absolutely do need to be canceling parades. We need to be canceling sporting events. We may, sure. maybe should not be playing the NCAA tournament, March for, Madness, for example. But – like I think you should still go to yeah. your church small group. Maybe not your church's worship service, but your church's small group. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't go out to eat at a big restaurant, but you should still like check in on your grandparents. And yeah. like, there's a way we <clears throat> mitigate the effects of infection without mm-hmm. um, uh, without being so disruptive that we in- engender yeah, panic. social distancing and all of that. Social distancing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was my that was oh, my well, big you, soapbox. You've been thinking about this. You have. I've been, I've been thinking yeah. about this a little bit. No, I think that's that's yeah. fair, and I think you know it's and that, that's what concerns me about a lot of these university responses. They clearly haven't thought through this. I mean, like, so I'll pick on your PhD alma mater, right? Um, which was actually my wife was briefly employed at one of their branch campuses, but Indiana University, right? Like they declare we're moving online, and we'll we'll let you know about the science course. And it's like, okay, you need to have a plan in place. Like you need to have figured this out. You haven't even like thought through this well enough, you're panicking, right? You're making a panic decision without properly thinking through this. You should have this plan in place, right? I mean, like, that, that's yeah, the kind of thing that, that where I'm like, that I'm just skeptical. That sounds like the IU but, that I know yeah, love, so. yeah, no, I know. Um, like my wife worked for them, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just, yeah. it's kind of like, that. that's the kind of decision where you're like, this seems really reactive, this, right? And reactive, and you're just, you're not thinking carefully about this. So think carefully and... You know, what What can you do pedagogically? I mean, and, you know, I think also just like keeping it like short term and evaluate as you go. I mean, you know, I think the places that are, you know, I, I don't love the canceling at all. But if you're doing it like the places that are only doing this for, say, two weeks and saying we'll think about it, then that seems more reasonable than the longer term ones where it's like we're just going to shut it down. Right. Um, the kind of cancel everything mentality. Um, let's let's keep tabs on it. And as soon as possible, let's try to get back to normal functioning. I mean, students pay for the, their, you know, they pay for dorms, they pay for tuition yep. and they, they should get what they pay for. And there's a, I think there's a real yep. ethical question about, you know, whether it's okay to shut this down. I mean, is this, is this a significant enough concern to actually have this level of reaction? I'm not convinced. We don't shut down whenever 100, 200 students come down with the flu. No. And they come to class years. with the flu. This I happens try to all keep the time. them from it, but they do it. Or they, or they email you in very descriptive terms about yeah. what the flu is doing Do you them. want me to come to class? No, no, I for under sure don't. No circumstances yeah. do I want you in my classroom. Oh, well, guys, can I come to your office? No, please don't. No. Speaking of that, <laughs> speaking of that, I have to go teach thirty-five students, oh. at least one of whom will be coughing today. So, um, <laughs> all right, petri dish more. Yeah, you, 
Okay, <laughs> worst nickname ever. Thanks. Um, so, so what's our game plan if things shut down, but we still want a podcast? Oh, there, oh, will, no, can, there will be podcasting. Oh, Mulberry can make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we all yeah. phone in. Oh, oh no, no. Phone I, in. I will come to your house. <laughs> Mulberry will be sitting by the master board. Exactly. <laughs> we'll all phone in. It'll be great. We can all cough. Now, in um, the comfort of our own homes. Uh, the the, the <laughs> American higher education system might crash and burn, but we will still be here uh, presiding over the ashes. Right. Um, you can always get a hold of us. <laughs> so we get picked off one by one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, All of a sudden, this became Carmen McCarthy's The Road. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. We got to sign off. I got to go teach. Um, you can always get a hold of us um, yeah. at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. We'll be back in your feed probably the next week around this time to talk about Moderately Sized Tuesday and what if Bernie Sanders has dropped out yet or not. Um, until then, I'm Chris Moore, and on behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, wash your hands and go Royals. Go Royals.